Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. History in Major League Baseball on a couple different fronts. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. College football continues to get shaken up at the tail end of the top 25. But we're able to start with baseball. The season wrapped up this week, the regular season that is. Postseason beckons. An exciting new format for the playoffs this go-around. For the wild card, finally someone listened to us screaming, fans clamoring that one-game play-ins are horrendously stupid for seasons that last 162 games for the longest season in sports. Let's settle one spot with one game. Seems fair. Thankfully, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, who's an idiot in a lot of aspects of what he does, at least made this switch that it'll now be a best-of-three format for the AL wildcard series all games are at the higher seed. The one and two seeds in each division have buys. So there will be some excitement with that best of three format, but we have a different exciting fan thing to talk about before speaking about our teams in the postseason, as history was made by individuals on each of our ball clubs this past week. Albert Pujols reached the 700 club in career home runs and Aaron judge on the Yankees became the AL leader in home runs for a season, eclipsing Roger Maris's 61 with his 62nd home run just by the hair of his chinny chin chin with the second to last game of the season made it happen in Texas. Thank goodness. Wipe the sweat off your brow and then sit him in the last game, despite there being the slimmest of chances he could have maybe won the triple crown. So I'm sure you're excited as a Cardinals fan, Albert Pujols, after going to purgatory in the Angels franchise for seven or eight seasons, however long it was, would have probably been the best hitter of all time had he stayed in St. Louis based on what the numbers were for his career at both places. He still is etched in the history books. Albert Pujols, the face of Cardinals baseball, gets it done in his what is going to be his final season. So it was an exciting thing to watch. And I don't think a player more revered than Albert Pujols as players around major league baseball showed how excited they were for this whole run. It was nice to see. Well, John, it was good to be back with you and our fans and friends. It was extraordinary to say the least as a Cardinal fan, you know, rooting and hoping and wondering if the glass slipper was going to fall off. Uh, 42 years of age and on a great run in the second half of the season. But you wonder, is he going to tire out? Is he going to hit a cold streak? Is he going to get hurt? None of the above have happened so far. Pools basically, 
uh, for those folks who don't know it, follow the Cardinals closely enough. With all due respect to the MVP season of Paul Goldschmidt and the MVP-like season of Arenado, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado had subpar Septembers. The Cardinals took off when Albert, Albert Pujols took off shortly after the All-Star break. And his last third plus of the season, tied with Aaron Judge, I believe, for most home runs. And they went on their run when he went on his run. And it wasn't just a coincidence. Slugging percentage uh, off the charts. His highest OPS since he was a Cardinal in 2011. Now, I know it was not a 550-at-bat season. I understand that. He started the season as the DH against left-handed pitching and was off to a terrible start, a very slow start. And then suddenly, shortly after the All-Star break and the home run contest, which seemed to rejuvenate him back in Los Angeles where he played last year and kind of got the fire back and winning, he said, had a lot to do with it and performed well for them as the DH against left-handed pitching. He just caught fire. He made a slight adjustment to his stance and the way he held the bat. And he's been, you know, 700, wound up at 703. Second most RBAs, RBIs in history as he passes Babe Ruth. His highest OPS since he was in St. Louis in 2011. And again, they stayed ahead of the Brewers because of Albert Pujols. Mediocre Septembers from Goldschmidt and Arenado. A huge August and September from Pujols as he continued to hit big home runs, get big hits, drive in big runs. And until recently, they had won all but one game that he'd homered in. They lost a couple since when it didn't matter. But he had a huge stretch drive and was instrumental in them winning the division going away. Can he continue to do it at 42 years of age in the postseason against excellent right-handed pitching of the Phillies? That remains to be seen. But he was a huge factor. Throngs in home ballparks, in home ballpark in St. Louis and Bush, where he did not do it. He got the 698 in Bush and then obviously did it in L.A., 699, 700. Ironic and appropriate that he does it in L.A., if not St. Louis, where he was, as he said, rejuvenated last season. Does it the right way, two in one game, five RBIs in a big win, and that put it to bed. He winds up with 703 as he hits a couple more, uh, both home on the road. Breaks our past, goes past Babe Ruth, second, second, second on the all-time RBI list. Only four guys in history at 700 and only two guys in the history of baseball with 700 home runs and 3,000 hits. Henry Aaron and Albert Pujols, the two greatest right-handed hitters of my lifetime. And Pujols, the one that I've gotten to see his entire career. I saw Aaron from mid-60s on, which was the back half of his career, because remember, he started in the early 50s. And he was a great player, a phenomenal player, the most underrated, fabulous player of all time because of Willie Mays. But you look at their numbers, and they're astounding. And if you look at their numbers and how similar they are, it's ironic. This is literally a player of a lifetime. It's as simple as that. His numbers are extraordinary. You know, his totals... Obviously, they were not in Anaheim what they were in St. Louis. Injuries, probably a lot of losing. It didn't help. But the point is, 
you know, we got to see one more run by an all-time player. And credit to a lot of his fellow players who have said repeatedly that Manny Machado leading the way, that we really need to appreciate what we're watching. And this was in the beginning of the season when Manny Machado said people aren't doing enough for Albert Pujols in his last go-around. Well, Albert Pujols kind of made sure that people did stand up and take notice because he made them do it by the way he performed and by the way he carried the team. And all of baseball in all the parks were standing and cheering and rooting. And he didn't disappoint. And now they go into the postseason, one last run. He and his buddy Yadier Molina, maybe the last go on for Adam Wainwright. We're not sure. He hasn't announced his retirement yet. But a great way to go out by an all-time player. And we all get to see it. And what's great is some of the kids who weren't old enough to realize and see the great Albert Pujols get one look at him the way he was. Now, is he the machine from 2001 through 2011 where he hit 360, 350, 335, drove in 140 runs? Not quite, okay? But, but, but for the last two months, he's been pretty damn close. So as a Cardinal fan, and more importantly as a baseball fan, it's been fabulous this year. It really did bring people back. And not to say that Albert Pujols was diminished and he's limping out there every at-bat and you're just waiting for a sign of greatness here and there. He's still a very good baseball player. But the crowd being as excited as it was, him being back in a Cardinals uniform, Yadier Molina being around, Adam Wainwright, you got the feels a little bit from yesteryear and the excitement that's surrounded Albert Pujols for a lot of his career. And it's not like he was just hitting these little dinky home runs. I mean, he was hitting, hitting, bombs. He's hitting bombs in the he's hitting bombs. Big Mac corner, whatever they call it out there. And it's Big Mac land. Big Mac land. Crazy how great he still is as a hitter. And it gets you sitting on your couch saying to yourself, you know what, Albert? Why not? Why not just come back for another one? Now that they've got the DH over there in the National League, you just become like a pure hitter, like an older man at a softball league, drinking beer in between innings. Come out, get a standing ovation, put a couple swings together, sit in the important games, if you will, but in those dog days of August, give the fans something to talk about, cheer about, and keep etching your name in the record books. Now he's come out, of course, and said, not at all his thinking. He's fine. He's good. This is it. Believe him. He's not coming back. But it's amazing that if he were to, how many more records he would break. You'd go past Babe, no question about it. Well, he passed Babe Ruth, and he may not catch Hank Aaron for most RBIs, but if he played a full season, he could probably make a pretty close run to him. Um, but it re- and look, he's going out it, it, this is the way to go out. This is the way to go out. I saw Willie Mays at the end. As many fans, you know, close to my age, or you know, if, even a few years younger, you know, falling down in center field, uh, you know, for the Mets in the '73 World Series, the legendary Willie Mays, some thought thought by many the greatest player of all time, the greatest player of my lifetime. Um, it was not pretty, and. Albert Pujols has made it to the fountain of youth and he's given every baseball fan, especially Cardinal fans, a huge treat. And he's done it not just from a you know individual achievement 
aspect, he's done, as I said earlier, a massive amount of beneficial, timely hitting, and not just home runs, game-tying base hits, clutch base hits to expand leads for insurance runs, and obviously several important game-tying or lead-changing home runs that have literally put them over the top in the NL Central. Remember that they were four games behind the Brewers, and they just blew the Brewers out of the water. They had a favorable schedule. They beat up on mediocre to uh, sub-500 teams while the Brewers were struggling, and Poulos was a huge part of that against both left-handed and then right-handed pitching. That's the best part of it is that he didn't just put up numbers. He put up numbers in important spots that helped the Cardinals win the division, which is pretty cool. And the even more exciting part for Cardinals fans is he's not done yet, which we'll get into shortly. In the American League, we mentioned the history of Aaron Judge passing Roger Maris to take over as the home run king of the American League. Many are arguing on the old internet who the true home run king is, if it's him, if it's Bonds, if it's McGuire, if it's Sosa. Well, it doesn't matter what he did because he's still X behind Bonds' number, and this is all for not college football fans. Furious over the past couple Saturdays having to be subjected to in-game switching to Aaron Judge at bats, which mostly turned out to be walks. Parrish just thought they missed a couple of plays. Of course, that you can't piss off college football fans. I'm surprised there wasn't riots in the streets for them switching to that game to watch Aaron Judge walk. It was a frustrating follow once 61 happened because for whatever reason, and I'm sure there's several reasons pitcher will, t- will tell you about it, they were pitching around Aaron Judge. They weren't afraid to walk him. They weren't really going after him, if you will nibbling around the plate, three-two counts. He was missing some pitches. There were some to hit to get to three-two. He, mi- he, he missed a couple hangers. He missed a couple hangers, but everybody misses a couple hangers. That's baseball. That's why I don't understand why pitchers were so afraid to just, just pitch for a couple personal reasons. People are going to remember your name for at least a little while. Now, you have a better memory than me, no question, but as – a populace as sports fans, even as baseball fans, if you start naming significant home runs and then ask what pitcher gave it up, nobody knows. You know, gave up Bonds 73rd? No. You know, gave up Roger Maris's 61st? No. Tracy you can go Stout. down the list. Tra- Tracy Stout. I knew you were going to get one. I was just going to keep going <laughs> until you found one. It only took two. That was good. That was good. <laughs> Jack Fisher gave up his 60th, See? and and uh, Tracy Stale gave up his 60th. So you're going to get remembered, obviously, for a little <laughs> bit. And it could be a high-leverage situation. It might be a closer. That'll make it easier for people to obviously remember. But there's so many relievers now that are just names on jerseys that come in, do their job in the seventh, and get out, who are only known by that fan base, that the odds of you going down in history as the guy aren't great. I'd argue, though, why not go down in history for at least a little while as the guy? Nobody's going to remember who you are once you retire from your 10-year journeyman seventh-inning relief pitching career, except for the teams that followed you. And even then, 
You could be sitting next to them at the bar. They're not going to know who the fuck you are sitting there unless you tell them. Or even if you have your jersey on, they might not even know. What's this weirdo doing dressed like this random relief pitcher that was on our team for two seasons? Lay it in there and get some history. And then you could use that to your advantage in your retirement. Go to these auction houses, go to these sports clubs, go to these autograph signings, and you get to sit next to Aaron Judge with a picture of the home run. He signs under his legs. You sign next to the mound, and you get a little cash in your pocket because you threw one bad pitch or one good pitch that he just still hit. Use it to your advantage, folks. I don't understand. But it finally happens by the skin of the teeth on a doubleheader before the final game of the season. First inning. First pitch, just get it out of the way. Thankfully, I flipped on the game in time. I've been f- trying to follow this thing like a lost child, looking on your phone to see where they are in the lineup, in your head being like, okay, it's been about 23 minutes. They should be here in the game. Let me flip over real quick, see where they're at. It was becoming ridiculous and incredibly frustrating as the nights continue to wear on. Of course, that's baseball. It's hard to hit a home run, but it was funny to see in one of the games his father, after he grounded out to short, kind of give him the, like, lift it in the air signal, which his wife wasn't too pleased with, Aaron Judge's wife, that his father was saying something along the lines of, like, will you fucking hit it already, man? We're sick of traveling around the country. Poor Roger Maris Jr. traveled through two countries trying to see this home run, and then when it finally happened, he was sitting home in his recliner. Very disappointing for Roger Maris Jr. What else were you doing? He's ready to fire off these tweets about how his father is the true home run king and Aaron Judge should be viewed as such now that he's broken the record. Shame on Barry Bonds and co. So he could get Stop followers. It, please. He had like Stop 700 it. followers or something along those lines on Twitter. He's up close to 10,000 now. So he's trying to get those clicks. But it was an exciting moment, especially as a Yankees Absolutely. fan. It's mind-blowing, and I'm sure it still is to you that the list of 62, 61, and 60 are all Yankees. They all came in, in different generations for Yankees fans. Well, it's, the, the symmetry is extraordinary. I mean, you've got three Yankee right fielders. Yeah. 60, 61, 62, number three, number nine, number 99. And you know, 61 years after uh, Maris gets 61, the big fella gets 62. And uh, too much of this discussion takes away from what he accomplished, which is the biggest problem with it. He had a fabulous season, one of the great seasons. You hear all the experts talk about it with the analytics and punt, you know, crunching the numbers. One of the great seasons of all time. Just missed out on the Triple Crown. Fell a little short uh, to the Twins infielder who beat him by about, uh, what judge finish at? 311? So 316 to 311? Right. About five points. Looked for a while there like he was going to do it. Had a two or three point lead, but then he went through that little slump with the walks where he also was illness. But be that as it may, Brilliant season, carried the team, great kid, wonderful all-around player. So the discussion really takes away from what he accomplished, but let's discuss it. The problem I have with it quickly, which I discussed with Steve Phillips, not angrily, but forcefully, who believes that Judge is the all-time home run leader, is that if you do that, you're basically just cherry-picking three guys. Out of all of this, as I said to him, you're just going to think McGuire's 70 and he's also 65 and Sosa's three seasons of two or three seasons of plus 60. 
and just yank them and, and, and say they don't exist. And along with, you know, bond season where we jumped from 49 to 73 because they either believed to have used or did use performance-enhancing drugs before there was any penalty for doing it. Was it against the law, use of steroids? Yes. Was it supposedly against the rules? Yes. But was there any penalty? Was there a collective bargaining agreement? No. Was there testing? No. But he wants to penalize just those three guys. He doesn't want to take those three numbers away. He doesn't want to do anything about Gaylord Perry, who cheated his whole career, doctoring the baseball, whether it was spit, Vaseline, whatever the foreign substance, told everybody about it, wrote a book about it, won 300 games, went to the Hall of Fame, won Cy Youngs. He doesn't want to take any of those wins away. He doesn't want to take those Cy Youngs away. He doesn't want to take away the Yankees championship that they won with Jason Giambi or Alex Rodriguez or Andy Pettis. He doesn't want to take away any Roger Clemens Cy Youngs or any other records out of the books by either suspected or known users of performance-enhancing drugs. He just wants to take those seasons that players had more home runs than Roger Maris or Hank Aaron and remove them from the record books. That's cherry-picking. It's just an incredibly inconsistent argument. Now, to me, if it was somebody who did it post-testing and had been suspended during seasons when he had those kind of accomplishments, I would take a long, hard, and closer look at it. But that's simply not the case here. Simply not the case. We don't know who was using. We don't know when they were using. We don't know how much they were using to help hit the ball farther. Of course it does. How much farther? I don't know. How many more home runs did it result in? Who knows? No way of knowing. Three, five, ten. But the point is, it's a totally subjective approach to just take those three guys' numbers out of the record books, and you're leaving everybody else in. You're doing it for your own purpose and your own usage to validate Aaron Judge and Roger Maris as the all-time home run kings. And I think it's incredibly inconsistent. And it's a self-aggrandizing argument, and quite frankly, no offense, I don't think it would even be up for play if it hadn't been done by a Yankee. You can dislike it, feel gross about it, etc. for what Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, many, many, many others did in Major League Baseball. As you mentioned, many more than we know. We don't actually officially know Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, etc., did steroids because there wasn't testing. We don't have any positive proof. We just have very, very good assumptions. They are very, very good assumptions. Almost 100% accurate assumptions, but assumptions at that. Well, McGuire, McGuire admitted to it. After, eventually. Thank yeah, but, the he, Lord. But, he did it, but he did admit to it. He did, yes. We watched it happen. We loved... When it was happening, I was growing up watching baseball then at eight, nine years old when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were going for the record. I thought it was the coolest thing in sports. People went crazy. We watched Barry they Bonds hit the ball into a cove. We watched him hit it into the, the upperest of decks at Yankee Stadium. We loved it. And I understand there was a cheating aspect for it. 
but I don't know why people seem to forget. Steroids don't help you hit a baseball. It's still very difficult to just hit a baseball. Forget about how far it's going to go just to make contact with it. I understand the pitchers then aren't the pitchers of now where everybody's seemingly throwing 100 with movement from both sides of the plate like crazy. But it's still not easy to hit a baseball. And it's certainly not easy to hit a baseball when people aren't trying to throw you a very good one in the case of Barry Bonds for when he was hitting his 73 home runs. Look at how many walks that he had. He was getting one good pitch a week to hit, it seemed like, and he would hit it. It was was one of the most extraordinary things to watch. And I don't know if you saw it, but last weekend, uh, when Barry Bonds was on the K-Rod production, which is ESPN Baseball's, ESPN's version of the Manning Brothers for Sunday Night Baseball, uh, he was on a, a live chat with the uh, A-Rod and, uh, and Michael Kay, and he was extraordinary. Listening to him talk about hitting and the science of hitting, the, the launch angles, what he do, which he doesn't like. He likes the level swing, hard through the ball, um, you know, the analytics, the mix of it, you know, the emphasis on it now versus then. You know, He still likes hard contact level contact, driving the ball, not necessarily, you know, putting the ball in play. Uh, you know, he still thinks it's more important to do that. He talked about the fact, you know, he's friends with A-Rod, but if he's going into second base, he's looking to go in hard. If he's got a spike, he spikes him. And then after the game, they're buddies. But during the game, it's war. You know, uh, he thinks that has gotten far, the, the game itself has gotten far too friendly. Uh, but it was just interesting stuff to hear from a guy who's such a great player and was so productive and how he believes that there's too much of a concentration on analytics today. And it's taking away from the game, the lack of contact, the emphasis on launch angles, elevation versus the the normal level swing path. that puts the ball in play more. Um, So it's very interesting along with the science of hitting and the way he approached it. And it was pretty cool because he was, I mean, for those who didn't get a chance to see him in his prime, it was nothing short of phenomenal. You, you couldn't get him out. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. And he, he wouldn't swing at a pitch that was a half inch off the plate. He never extended the strike zone. And as you said, he would get, you know, he would go a game and get maybe one pitch to hit, two pitches to hit. It was, it was truly amazing. And what he would do to those pitches. He was a brilliant player, brilliant players, great outfielder, great base runner. And you know, one of the most extraordinary hitters uh, that you're ever going to see. Truly fabulous player. Barry Bonds' biggest problem is that aside from San Francisco Giants fans, nobody liked Barry Bonds. And they still don't like Barry Bonds. He wasn't part of the social media generation for this to take off on Twitter every time he hit a ball 700,000 feet. He didn't get a chance to show off a, a maybe closed personality on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Even now, he just goes on his 36-mile bike rides where he's just riding along for two and a half hours. He keeps to himself now. He's not coaching in the game like he was. Even when he was with the Marlins, people didn't even take any 
emphasis really on that. I don't know if they forgot that he was in the game of Major League Baseball. Nobody was talking to him then. And even when they did, it was like, eh, he's around. But you see how intelligent of a player he was, how much he knows the game even still, how much he's paying attention to it, how it was for him as a player. It's fascinating stuff. But to make a long story short for it all, you can't just say he's not the home run king because you don't like some of the stuff that happened along the way. It's like when the NCAA tries to take these banners and national championships away from these programs where the players had nothing to do with the infractions that happened to the school. Now all of a sudden you're going to take away that championship and pretend it never happened. We watched it happen. They cut down the nets. So because major league baseball didn't make any of this illegal, didn't pay any attention to it while it was happening because the sports writers and sports media at the time kept their mouth shuts because it was filling their pockets and having the clicks for their stories and the subscriptions for their newspapers. They were following these guys around like Pied Pipers, whether it was Tom Verducci or Buster Olney or, uh, you know, Peter Gammons, you know, it doesn't matter who it was. They worshipped these guys. They knew they, that these guys brought baseball back. They brought the fans back to the ballparks. They followed them all over the country. They hung on every word. They sold their magazines. They sold their papers. And they sold their books. And you know, then when they found out what they found out, they turned on them. And they turned them into uh, you know, the, uh, the, the evil trio. And I just think it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Because they got their bread buttered by them. And you know, then they ripped them to shreds after they took advantage of everything that they did and they rode the magic carpet ride with them. So I, I just think it was a very phony approach, you know, and you never hear them going to say, Hey, we were all over it. We followed these guys. We love these guys. We propped them up. We did as much as anybody to prop them up. Then you just tore them down. So uh, I, I never liked that approach. I thought it was two-faced. I thought it was hypocritical. I thought it was phony, as I said before. No matter who it is, I could have the most respect for whether it be Bob Costas or Peter Gammons, whatever the case may be. Don't sit there and decry these guys and then vote for David Ortiz on your Hall of Fame ballot. Right. Because never the twain shall meet. Exactly. Because David Ortiz is arguably the biggest phony in the history of baseball, let alone, if not sports. This is a guy who tested positive when the, the first testing started and it was sealed, supposedly. And you know, he denied having the positive test. But David Ortiz's entire career, as far as I'm concerned, is in question. He went from being a mediocre, run-of-the-mill player, the Minnesota Twins, to the second coming of Ted Williams slash Babe Ruth in Boston. And everybody follows this guy around like the Pied Piper. Everybody loves this guy with a big smile and you know, acting like a goof in the dugouts and you know, on Fox. He acts like a buffoon. It's like a big buffoon. And they treat him like he's a god. First ballot Hall of Famer. DH. And for all we know, steroid abuser. Yep. You put in Bud Selig, who watched it all happen. You put in Tony LaRussa, who watched it all happen right in the clubhouse with several of his players. No problems with those guys, but let's pick and choose which ones we don't want to stand behind and which ones should be the goats for these things. You can't do that. Well, they can do it. They did it. They Especially did it, in baseball. 
You know, Al, just just how baseball has evolved in time. Once you start picking and choosing for one thing, you have to start picking and choosing for everything else. Do you think Gen Z coming up realizes that when certain teams were winning World Series back in the Roger Maris' days, there was no postseason? You got right to the World Series. The two best teams played for the championship. That was it. There's no wild card. There's no division. There's no conference. You just played for the World Series. That's why the same teams won year after year. One series, winner take all. That was it. You'd think Gen Z knows in the NCAA tournament you had to win your conference to get into the tournament, and if you didn't, you just didn't make the tournament. You went home, and you hoped you got back the next year. If we're starting to pick and choose records and championships and what holds more weight to what, it's going to be a long night at the office in and, all and, sorts of ways. By the sports. way, you know, for, for those of any age, are we going to take away the Astros title? They didn't do that, did they? Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be out for that. I will pick and choose. I know you would. <laughs> I know you would. Blayton admitted cheating. Did they take, did they take the Actual Astros? Actual evidence. No, they didn't. Literal not. evidence of cheating. And Major League Baseball, once again, look the other way. So what are we to do about it? You just have to accept it and move on. And if you were watching what Aaron Judge was doing, not just this past month, but all season, and in the back of your mind thinking, well, this doesn't matter because it's 73 is the number. Fuck you, man. Just enjoy life and enjoy baseball and enjoy the moment that was happening. It's still an incredible accomplishment in 2022 in the circumstances of the game of baseball how it went about, the team it's on, the history of the sport. Just enjoy something for once instead of going to Twitter or Facebook and the first thing, ooh, 73 is the number. And then the next comment underneath is, well, it's not Bob's because he cheated. He did steroids. It's really Darren Judge. But what are we doing? What are we doing? Just enjoy the sport happening in front of you, the athlete performing in front of you. Instead of going on social media and coming up with whatever stupid you want to spew out to get your clicks. If you don't enjoy watching LeBron James play basketball in general, I can't help you. If you didn't enjoy watching Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs, carry his team when they fucking sucked for months of the summer, I can't help you. If you're not watching this 9-6 nonsense of a football game on Amazon Prime because we can and it's the National Football League and damn it, when there was a pandemic and we didn't have sports, we said we'd enjoy every moment we can with this nonsense sometimes. I can't help you. Now, I'm a Broncos fan. I obviously have skin in the game. If I didn't, there's no way I'd still have this on. It's a catastrophe and I'm jealous of Al for not having Amazon and not having to subject himself to whatever this is on this football field, because it's the worst thing you could ever experience. Thursday night football. It's because I don't terrible. think these guys should be playing. They, should they shouldn't not. be playing. They, should they should, not. should not be playing three days after playing a game, but you know, they took the money. I understand they want the money. I understand that their careers are short. They want to take as much as they could get, get but I, I, you know, if, if it was up to me, it, there would be no Thursday night football. Agreed. Terrible uh, product, sure. but the money in football, as we know, always talks. Okay, so we've reached the postseason. The bracket is set. The postseason picture is upon us as such in the American League. The Tampa Bay Rays, as a six seed, play the Cleveland Indians as the three. 
The five four matchup. The youngest is the team Mariners in baseball. The, the team that everybody is talking about. The the, the Cleveland Guardians. I didn't slip. Led I by didn't. Terry Terry Tito Francona, uh, probable manager of the year, and youngest team in baseball. No real stars except for Ramirez. They're great switch hitting uh, second slash third baseman. Now pretty much third baseman. Who had another wonderful year. Excellent young pitching, wonderful closer, and a team that relies on speed and defense. And two guys, their middle infield was acquired from the Mets in the trade for Frankie Lindor. So a trade that worked out well for both teams. They get their starting second baseman who had a great year. They get their starting shortstop who had a solid year. And a bunch of young guys who run, throw, field, put the ball in play, run the bases, and you know, a very, very good staff, a starting staff led by Shane Bieber. And they win the division comfortably. Now, the division stunk. The Chai Sox were a terrible underachiever. The Twins fell apart down the stretch after we all thought made a lot of good acquisitions at the trading deadline. So they really kind of, the last two weeks, three weeks, had a hand ride home. And you know, they take on you know, Tampa Bay with their payroll of $27, recovering from injuries all year to keep players, to keep pitchers, but they get their stud back. They get their big time uh, Tyler Glass now back for the very last couple series, and he is going to start game one. The six foot seven inch right-hander, don't know how long he's going to go, but that's a huge shot in the arm for them. They got Randy Rosarena. Uh, but where's the offense going to come from is always the question for Tampa, and you never know because they can pitch, they can uh, run the bases, they catch it, but I like Cleveland in this series. They're at home, and remember, folks, it's a big advantage now for the home teams. All three of these games are at home. It's best of three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Bing, bang, boom. No rest, no off days, no travel, all three at home for the top seeds. I like Cleveland in this series, and I like them quick. Uh, I like them to win it in two. How about you? I'll go with Cleveland as well. I've jokingly said on here that the AL Central is like the flyover, literally, division of Major League Baseball. Nobody pays attention to it. Whoever comes out of there, congratulations. This year it happens to be the Guardians, and I do give them a slight edge in a short series like this to – yeah, make quick work of Tampa Bay. It wouldn't shock me if the Rays were to win because they have all those scrappy analytical nothing, nerd no, guys. No, nothing, nothing, the Rays, nothing the Rays do shocks me. Yeah, I've, 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 They've won me over. Uh, I don't know how they do it. I still don't know how they do it. I said before, you know, to Messrs. Phillips and you know, the great Eduardo Perez and others, that every owner should go to the Stu Sternberg School of Baseball Ownership. He's got no fans. He's got no building. Uh, because of that, he's got no payroll. <laughs> but they just keep winning. Somehow, some way, they just keep winning. How? Great scouting. Great player development. Obviously, you know, great coaching and teaching at the lower levels of the minor leagues. And when these guys get here, they're ready. And you can see they all know how to play. They always pitch well, whether they're starters, whether they're relievers, whether they're openers, they find a way 
to keep teams from scoring. It's a shame that they play in that dump. It's it's so hard to watch games there. You know, from from a TV standpoint, I hate watching games in that building. Nobody goes, which is ridiculous. It's amazing that nobody goes when they continue to win. It's one thing if your team sucks and you don't go, but because of where the building is located, apparently, and the quality of the building, whatever. I've been saying I want this thing to just move them to Nashville. They'd sell out every game if they were in Nashville. Move them back to Montreal, and you got the natural rivalry, you know, with the, with the Rays and the Jays. And you know, it, it's in the same division. It, it's a perfect fit. But just get them out of there. Just get them out of there. But they will always compete, and it's a, it's really a boon to ownership and management and you know, scouting and player development that they're always right there. It really is amazing. I like the Indians in this sense. The darlings, up-and-comers, fan bases that are dying for success, just getting the postseason, yes, but then success in the postseason, the 5-4, the Mariners, the Blue Jays, it's going to be exciting with both those teams because, I mean, you, hungry doesn't do justice for those fan bases wanting to win a postseason series. This is a series that I really wish uh, they both got home games because of the fact that the fans are both nuts. They're going to be going crazy in Toronto, in the Rogers. Is it still called the Rogers Center? Sky Dome as I know it. Whether the roof's open or the roof's closed, they're going to go nuts. It's just too bad that, you know, this series is not going to be in Seattle at all because they've been the longest dry spell in American sports, which, you know, they make it sound like it's 50 years. It's, it's not, but it is 20 since they've been in the postseason. They've got a terrific young team. They made some nice deals. They brought in Castillo from the Reds. He'll be starting game one. They've got the wonderful young Rodriguez player in center field who's been nicked up with a bad back, but he'll be ready to go. And Toronto has the young guns all over the field, everywhere you look. You know, Bobachet at short, uh, super duper man at first base. Uh, you know, their junior, who didn't have a season, you know, quite to the extent you know, that he did last year. You know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was not MVP like this year, but he had a solid season. George Springer, who brings the World Championship and World Series experience. You know, in center field, at least when he's healthy. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez had another solid season. They got a lot of bats. They got a lot of offense. They got starting pitching, pretty good bullpen. This is an interesting series. Um, Seattle's starting pitching, also very good. But Robbie Ray slipped a little bit down the stretch. George Kirby is a kid from here uh, who is from uh, Westchester. Their number one draft pick a few years ago, who went to Elan uh, in North Carolina, an excellent college career. He had a really good rookie season, uh, and they they acquired Castillo, so their starting pitching is sound. Has the makings of a knockdown dragout series. I hope it goes three for entertainment purposes, and I'm just picking the home team. That, that that's really the deal. I'm I'm going to take the Jays. In three, if this series was in Seattle, I'd take Seattle in three. So I'm going to take the Jays in three in this series. I think it would be very entertaining. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of action, a lot of offense from both teams. 
I don't think you're going to see pitchers go deep into games in this series. Be a battle of the bullpens, but I think who swings the bats better is going to get the get the nod in this series. Yeah, I'm picking the Jays because I can name more of their players. Your Cardinals are hosting the Phillies over on the National League side in that six-three contest. You got to feel good about getting home field for the three games and figure your squad can pull two out with the way Albert's hitting. Let's get a maybe a walk off for one of those well, games. Get a little excitement. It, it's huge for the Cardinals to have the home field because the Cardinals are 500 on the road and much, much, much better. You can do the math at 24 games over 500 uh, at home. And they're facing a team that has two guys in games one and two who ate them up. Uh, Wheeler shut the Cardinals out twice in back-to-back starts and Nola pitched very well against them as well. I'm hoping it can kind of be a kind of Corbin Burns scenario where finally the third time around or fourth time around, they got to him a little bit like they did when uh, they had the big game against him at home against Milwaukee. Uh, they'll need Arenado and Goldschmidt to bounce back. Of course, they'll need Albert, but they're going to need some other pieces. They're going to need some of the left-handed hitters, whether it's Donovan, you know, the rookie up top, uh, or Tommy Edmond or Dylan Carlson. Somebody is going to have to contribute besides the big guys or they'll just get pitched around and they'll, you know, the prevent offense will rear its ugly head again. They're starting, you know, Jose Quintana, not a big name, you know, who they acquired from the pirates at the deadline, who was terrific for them. Jordan Montgomery, who they acquired from your Yankees and got off to a great start, floundered a little bit and then finished strong, but he will not start games one or two. It's going to, you know, the, the, the Cardinals biggest flaws, they don't have that, that super duper top of the line starter. They don't have, you know, your guy at the top, all right? Uh, you know, for the Yankees, they don't have, you know, a Max Scherzer. They don't have DeGrom. Uh, they don't have, you know, e- even, even uh, you know, Clayton Kershaw at 33. They don't have that. Uh, they've got guys who are pretty good. Nobody great. Adam Wainwright won't even start in this best of three because he struggled his last four or five starts with a dead arm. So it'll be Quintana and Miles Michaelis against the two big-time right-handers from the, you know, from the Phillies. Cardinals will have to hit. They will have to hit. If they don't hit, they're going home. Or I should say staying home. I'm going to pick the Cardinals to eke it out in three. And, yes, that's a subjective opinion. Well, I love Cardinals playoff baseball atmosphere-wise. I mean, I've never hated the Cardinals. I'm not a National League person, so I don't really have reason to. They don't exactly have a huge postseason rivalry with Yankees baseball. Whenever you people were winning World Series, Yankees were at home. So there wasn't any back and forth like there was back many, many years ago. So I'll go with the Cardinals, too, because, again, I can name more players. And probably what will be the most exciting, well, at least begs to be the most exciting series, the 5-4s, the Padres, and the Mets, you'd swear the world was ending that the Mets didn't get the division and gave it up to the Braves once more. Death taxes and that always happening. The Braves winning the NL East. But for whatever reason, a lot of Mets fans acting like this was it. It's over. There's no chance now. The season is a wash. Maybe not remembering that you now have a chance to win two out of three and advance to the next round. At least be happy to be in the postseason. Very confusing that this was doomsday. Well, when you at least got a shot. I think the concern is we had a big lead. We lost it. We had a hundred games. We won a hundred games. We didn't win the division. And the biggest concern of all has to be that, you know, they went into this finale 
against the Braves, and they had the, the big boys going Friday and Saturday night into Grom and Scherzer, and they both lost. And they got knocked around a little bit, not bombed, but you know, they got beat with the home run ball in Atlanta. Uh, and it's been you know, two or three rough starts in a row for DeGrom, and he's got the blister. And now they are not going to start him in, supposedly. Uh, I, I get, you know, I, I'm not sure if Buck would start him in game two if they lost game one. I guess he would. I'm not sure, but there's, he's not starting game one. The idea being that if they win game one with Scherzer, they're going to go with uh, their number two guy, Chris Bassett, which would give them DeGrom for a game three or a game one the next series. Some people think Buck's playing a little too cute. Um, I really can't say on that because I'm not sure what he's going to do in game two if Scherzer loses. Would he bring DeGrom back now for game two or would he still go with Bassett? Because if you're not going to go with DeGrom in game two down 0-1, you're getting too cute. This, to me, is far and away the most interesting of all the series because of what we talked about with the Mets. They badly missed Starling Marte. But their two main guys offensively are obviously the polar bear who set an all-time Met record, record for RBIs. Frankie Lindor, who wound up with over 100 RBIs and had a terrific second season with the Mets. Will they score enough runs? Will they hit enough? Oh, by the way, Jeff McNeil's going to get a new car from Frankie Lindor because Jeff McNeil won the batting title. He wound up passing Freddie Freeman, who passed Paul Goldschmidt. Both like Goldschmidt was in charge. Had a shout-out to Triple Crown. Goldschmidt slumped. Freeman got hot. Then down the stretch, Freeman didn't exactly struggle, but McNeil just caught absolute fire. And, you know, getting three hits a night, one over and three, four hits, caught him, passed him. And Jeff McNeil, of all people, won the batting title. And his teammates said he'd buy him a car. So let me ask you a question before we pick this series. Pick your car. <laughs> I'm going old school. I don't need one that goes 300 miles an hour. Cause I'm six, seven and I'm not going to be able to fit in it. That's just how it goes with these new cars. When they come up to like my waist height wise, that's not going to roll. So I've got to go back to probably a Mustang or a Corvette or a 55 Chevy four door little souped up inside. Not like pit my ride style where you've got just items that you'll never use, but give give me a couple of bells and whistles. I don't need the old school stereo, but I would definitely go older instead of newer. I don't like the, the newer cars just don't do it for me for whatever reason. I'm either going with the old school, my, my favorite Corvette, the 78, 79, 80 age group, or I'm going with the new bomb Corvette which looks like a spaceship, one of the two, but I'm going Corvette. <laughs> I'm going USA. It's the one car I've wanted that I've never owned. I've never had a Corvette. So that's the route I'm taking. Now, this series, you know, the Padres had their ups and downs. Obviously, they finished 1,000 games behind the Dodgers who didn't. Uh, they made the big trade for Soto, and they also got Bell, and they also got Hader. And, you know, Hader was awful a good stretch of the time and then cleaned it up a little bit the last couple weeks of the season. He still hasn't been the same dominant hater that we saw in Milwaukee. And as you know, know, he got bombed the second half of the first half before the trade deadline in Milwaukee. So he was on a very bad stretch in Milwaukee when the trade was made that continued in San Diego. looks like he's righted himself to some extent. 
but you know, Bell struggled mightily. Soto was, for him, mediocre. Manny Machado, far and away, their best player and their MVP. But their starting pitching is strong. And um, they are going with a guy in game one who has been terrific uh, the second half of the season, especially down the stretch. Uh, Hugh Darvish, who is probably most famous for spitting the bit in game seven for the Dodgers against the cheating Astros when they may have been stealing his, you know, uh, stealing his pitch, you know, uh, he may have been tipping his pitches, but it's going to be Darvish against Scherzer in game one. Remember, this is in San Diego, all three in San Diego. The Mets have not named their starting pitch for game two. So he is playing it coy. He's playing it cute. If they lose, I think you'll see DeGrom. If they win, you'll probably see Chris Bassett. Who do you like in the series and why? I'm going with the Padres. I've I've had 32 years, almost 33, of watching Mets baseball. That's all you need to know. (laughs) I think it it was going to be funny to poke fun at the Padres for getting all the talent, getting Juan Soto, Manny Machado a couple years ago, getting Hader, doing all this stuff, and then for what? You don't even make the postseason? Now that they're in... It's all going to come together for to win two games against the Mets. That's just how things go for the Mets. I'm not going to change that mindset until they change it for me. Yes, the 2015 World Series happened. I remember they were there and win it. This is just Mets if baseball. Were, heartbreak if, upon heartbreak upon heartbreak. Why not have one of the best regular seasons you've had in recent memory? And then it all comes crashing down because you lost the division at the end of the season. It would be exactly Mets baseball. The Mets should win this series. They should. They're, Absolutely, they're the they better, should. They're the better team. So you tell me what I'm going to do. Even though I agree with your rationale and your mindset, and I have a, a hunch like you do that the Padres are due, the Padres are just as big a gaggers as the Mets. That's not false at all. <laughs> if not more so. So I am going to go with the team that was better all year long. Uh, I think there's enough offense there with Lindor and with the Polar Bear and with McNeil and some help from other places along with, remember, you know, the best reliever in baseball this year, third player slash pitcher in history, qualified innings-wise, batters-wise, to strike out. 50% or more of the batters he faced. Just a remarkable season uh, from Diaz. I- I'm going to take the Mets in three. Mets in three. Not a bad pick at all. Not a bad pick at all. I'm just and, and, it's, go and, it, with and it's not it's not a pick that's brimming. It's not brimming <laughs> with confidence. It's nothing remotely remotely resembling cocky. It's almost like the lesser of two evils. I think I think San Diego is going to find a way. San Diego may be up one nothing with, you know, Hater closing it in the ninth inning in Game Two, yeah. and they'll find a way to blow it. I I, I just think the Mets have got enough uh, experience, confidence, veteran leadership that they're going to do it. I think they're going to move on. That's another series where both fan bases just desperate for wins. Oh, they're thirsty. They're thirsty. And it'll be in the no matter who wins these. Both of those fan bases are in the desert. 
And I'll say for the divisional series, I think the only real they're going to cruise series that I can see for the first round would be the Astros playing either the Jays or the Mariners. I think they'll be fine with either, but I can see the other three definitely being competitive. I mean, you would assume that the Dodgers are going to do their thing. They've done it all season, but the Mets have the pitching. The Padres have the hitting where that, that's going to be an exciting series, you would think, at least for maybe a couple games. You, you can make an argument that the Astros, you can make a very strong argument that the Astros are the best team in baseball. They didn't have the best record the Dodgers did, but with the issues the Dodgers have with the health of their starting pitching and the problems they've got at the back end of the bullpen, uh, because you know their, I don't say future Hall of Fame, might be pushing a little bit, but if you look at his numbers, uh, he's probably a future Hall of Famer, but he has struggled mightily. He has simply not been the same guy we saw last year. He hasn't been the same guy since he came over in the trade. And I don't know what it is because when I watch him pitch, he looks lights out during an, an appearance. And then all of a sudden he'll, he'll nibble and be up 0-2, and and then he'll get a couple pitches fouled off, and then he'll leave a pitch up or fall behind and walk a guy. And the next thing you know, you know, two outs, nobody on, or or one out, and 0-2 on the next guy. And the next thing you know, this guy's first and third, one out. And he finds a way to blow the save. I've watched him do it four or five different times this year. And he's not throwing 99 anymore. 98-99. You know, Craig Kimbrell has been you know, mid-90s, and we're used to seeing him up around the high 90s with that nasty slider, and he struggled to control the slider. He's missed a lot in the strike zone with his fastball when I've watched him, and it hasn't had the same amount of of giddy-up on it. You know, it's been three, four miles an hour short from what used to see, I'm used to seeing. So the closer spot has become you know, a question mark for them. Who's it going to be? Uh, is it going to be Carrot Top? Will they put him in that role? Will it be Bruiser Gratterall? Uh, you know, question mark. Now, they may be so far ahead in games that it doesn't matter, which is what you would like to think. But the problem with the Dodgers in the postseason in these years where they have not won is that they haven't hit. Despite all the guns that they have to work with, and obviously they have another one this year with Freddie Freeman, at times, they simply haven't hit. They've been shut down. But this is an even better offense. This is an offense full-time. Trey Turner, full-time. Healthy Mookie Betts, full-time. First-time. Newcomer, another MVP-like season for Freddie Freeman. Uh, there's a lot of guns. Old man Turner, Smith behind the plate. Uh, they're, they're rough. They're rough. There's a reason they won 100 and was 11 games, led the major leagues in home runs and, and fewest runs allowed. They're statistically the best team in baseball. They're the deepest team in baseball. But at times, and people worry about their starting pitching. Look, remember 2020, Kershaw was terrific in the postseason. And my theory was that, well, it's the first time he didn't get worn down in the regular season because you had the pandemic. And, you know, he couldn't pitch that much. Well, this year, remember, midseason, he went on the DL. He was terrific before. 
and he's been terrific since he came off. But this is, again, a fresh Kershaw. So I think Kershaw will be great during the postseason. Urias is always terrific in the postseason. Who fills the third and fourth starter? Anderson had a great year. Will it be Carrot Top? You know, the Catman is back, but you know, are they ready to stretch him out yet? Probably not. You know, maybe he's an opener. Uh, but I think they'll have enough pitching. To me, with the Dodgers, it's always a question of, you know, will that star-studded offense produce? I think they will. Um, but remains to be seen. Let's get through this first round, which I think we're very excited. I love the best of three. I love the best of three. Me too. I like I like it more than the one and done. Yeah. I love the best of three. I think it's very cool. This is you know we talked about it. this. This was is my postseason. They did exactly what my plan was. Right. My plan was, uh, you know, the three division winners and the three wild cards and the first two division winners get buys. Three, six, four, five, two out of three. Now they're not receding after the first round. And I can live with that. Uh, you know, the reason behind it, I really don't know. But I, this is the plan I wanted. So I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, if it sucks, blame me. Blame me. <laughs> it's my idea. Yeah. Send us an email or a tweet. The only thing I would like in a perfect world is if they were able to play at least one game at the other people person's place, the other team's place. I get why they're not, and I'm okay that they're not. It is the wild card after all. I mean, win a couple more games to get your home field advantage. At least well, you're playing I, I for something you, type of thing. I think what you can do there is you. if I were to modify it to that extent, I wouldn't do it for 3-6 because you know, the team that wins the division – against the six, I'm not just saying it's the Cardinals, but you should get the reward for winning the division. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wouldn't have a big problem if they changed it next year to three against six, three gets all the home games and four against five, two and one. I'd be okay with that. Problem with that is then, you gotta, then, then you got travel. Okay. Right, exactly. You got to do it. Cause are you, are you going to do one, one, one? Are you going to do one, two? Right. Are you, how are you going to do it? And is one, because two it, fair in baseball? Like the, the worst team no. gets the first home game to go up. One yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's not. It's tough. It's not. It's not. So it's, it, I, I like it in theory, but without time off for travel, you know, because right. it, it, the, the, the way to do it is one, one, one. It's clearly the fairest way, to, fairest way to do it. Now you could do it with only one travel day if you wanted, but that's hard too. And then it's, well, Team X has an advantage because of the rest days, who they could pitch, and then how the next series will look, who they could pitch, and who they could sit. There's and I think as part of what they're doing with no travel days and no rest right. is let's see who's ready to go and who's the best team. You know, where you'll you know, get to rest your starters and get travel days built in to help you out. We're going big bang boom. So who's got who's which team's got the three best starters? You'd have to think the Mets, right? Well, they certainly got the two best. Even with you know, it, whoever is the third game, I'm not big on Bassett. Uh, it's just me. Uh, I, he's had a terrific season. You know how I am. I got things about certain players. I have mad crushes, and I have guys that even if they're good, I think they suck. All right, now I don't think Bassett sucks, but there's something about him I don't trust. Him. And it was terrific. He had a stinker in Atlanta, but he was great for him all season long. He was a quality big time number three. I, I, I don't like his stuff. Just me. Just, you know, the naked eye, the eye test, something about it I don't trust. Maybe it's because I've never seen a pitch in a really big spot. 
but I'm, I'm just, I'm not convinced. You're going to have to make me to believe. You're going to have to make a believer out of me that I can trust him. That he can go out and win a game in a big spot. But, you know, the same thing with, uh, you know, the cat on San Diego. Okay, you know, the, the, the big right-hander who they signed to, you know, uh, another, they, signed to another, they signed to another extension? The big right-hander? San Diego? And, and what is he? Now? He's going to be in the three holes? Going to stay, is Snell going to start game two? I would think. Yeah. For San Diego? I would think so. Right. Um, but I don't trust the big right-hander. So, and he, he's, he's been solid for them. There are certain guys that I, I, I whether it's you know, Bright Lights, Big City, you know, I, I don't know. I just don't know. And if I'm a Mets fan, what I'm more concerned about is the health of both of my studs. Because you know, Scherzer didn't look that great. We know he's coming off the, the side injury, which he said he should have went on the DL earlier. And you know, DeGrom has been human and has got the blister. So those are my biggest concerns for the Mets is the health of those guys. Because people have said, and I've heard it time and time again, you know, they're Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling, you know, the 2001 Diamondbacks, who you know too well. No, they're not. Those guys went eight, nine innings every game, and then Randy Johnson came out of the bullpen, you know, on three minutes rest. These guys, are they're going six, seven innings tops. That's what they do all year long. They're not going longer than that in the postseason. Any one of these guys who's in the eighth inning in the postseason, I'll be shocked. Shocked. They can't get you that. Now, you got Diaz, which is a huge, huge safety net. But you're gonna, he's not going to give you six out saves every night. You're going to have to have a bridge, whether it's you know a, a, another guy who I don't trust, Agent Zero, you know, the side-arming former Yankee, former Cardinal, Mr. Slider, I don't trust him. That's my concern with the Mets, is if I get these good starts, can somebody get me to Diaz? I think that I, I think the Mets will hit enough. I think they'll hit enough. I'm really concerned about the big guys. The big guys pitch well. They're a lot. But remember who's going in game one. Right? I said before, he's been tremendous. The last month of the season, I've always loved his stuff. I think Darvish is is a, a wonderful pitcher who you know got that un- unfortunate scenario in Game Seven, but I like him. I'd love to have him on my team. He's got nasty stuff. Uh, so I, I that's the series for me. That that's the must see series. Plus, you know, I don't. I'm I'm not even sure. I guess we won't get him on. No, we won't get him on. See, the, the best part about, about watching the Mets is, is you get Gary and you get Keith and you get Ron, which is the best booth in sports. We won't get him in the postseason, unfortunately. But that's to me, that's, that's, that series is must-watch must watch team. Do all the favorites advance? Yes, yes, yes. The only underdog you have advancing is uh, San Diego, right? Right, and then I mean after that to the AL and NLCS. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll cross that bridge. We got time. That's, that's for that's for next week. We got time. 
Let's see who's there first. Let's see who's there first. Well, we'll put a cap on the show with this. The Broncos just lost to the Colts 12 to 9. Not a touchdown was scored. Scalper's delight. They went for it on fourth and one in overtime from, I don't know, well within field goal range. They did not get it. And the Colts hold on and beat the Denver Broncos in what should be viewed as the worst game in Broncos history. Was it? And your coach? No. And your and your coach remains squarely on the hot seat. Fourth and one from the five. They just hired that general time management whatever coach to have better help with decisions that apparently a grown man can't make. Obviously. And everybody came to the decision. This game. Let's go for it on fourth and one. Not only are we going for it. We're going to have Russell Wilson throw for it, who's thrown, and by God's grace, you've missed this because you don't have the Amazon to watch this disaster. He's thrown two interceptions tonight near or in the end zone. So let's have him throw it in the end zone again. Incomplete. Not even off the hands of one of his players. What an unmitigated disaster fire everybody get them out of there what a ruined night sweet mother of god it's hard to be that incompetent and you got to miss it so congratulations to you and all those that didn't turn the game on or at least if they did quickly shut it off broncos fans out were leaving with five seconds left in the actual game after the colts kicked the game-tying field goal. They started to leave. They didn't even stay for overtime. Forget that nonsense. Colts drive down the field, kick a field goal. Broncos drive down the field, couple wide-open pass plays. Can't get it on fourth. Russell Wilson threw an interception just outside the two-minute warning with the ball in. Well within field goal range. Field goal range. On a slant into the end zone, the defender jumped the route cut off the slant pattern slash post and picked it off that led to the Colts going down the field in time to kick the game tying field. Why is he throwing the ball there? Why is he throwing the ball in that spot? And why are you throwing it like that? What what was the down and distance on that? Was it was it third down? Let me go into my book of plays here. God bless us. Uh, the let's let's just go down the list of interceptions from one Russell Wilson. The first one, it was where's it, where's it listed? Come on, give it to us. Oh, I'm I had to look past the quarter. It was a uh, third and thirteen at the thirty-five. Through that interception, it was basically like a, we'll I'll just huck it down the field, kind of like a punt how about, type thing. How about, even though you're how about in field get how about get eight ten yards and make it an easier field goal and put yeah. the game away? How about that? Then the second one, third and four, at the Colts thirteen. Interception in the end zone, touchback. That was with which, which, which one? in the fourth quarter. Uh, that, oh, oh, oh so that, that 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 was the one I was talking about, yeah. where you could have just run the ball, run the ball. At worst, you go up six, and you're going to force this trash Colts offense to have to score a touchdown against 
one of the better defenses in football this year. If if, if you don't if if you don't get the first down, correct. Because the Colts yards. had no timeouts at that point either. So not only you, are you and, you're running out, you're running time down if you get the first down. A lot of positives to just running the football. Well, you run the football. It's gonna be if you don't make it, it's gonna be a two minute warning. So Correct. they're going to have the ball with a minute 55 to go down six. But if you get the first down, the game's over. Yep. So why are you throwing the ball? In the, what's the purpose of throwing the ball in the end zone? Fan Bull Duel put out there was a better in New Jersey that placed down a grand on no touchdown, scored tonight, paid out $101,000. Guy had to sweat out four quarters and overtime, and it ended up being one of the easiest bets of the season. No sweat. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Well, that's the football talk for the show. I hope you enjoyed our baseball discussion. We certainly did. It's been a long time coming. Got to talk you some bet. history and got to talk some postseason. And sorry to leave the sour taste in your mouth of that Thursday night football game, folks, but we all had to experience it together, and we're very envious in Al and not having to. Sweet Lord hours of life I would love to have back. And now uh, Denver falling down in the AFC West. Wonderful. Just one, one of the great joys of being the old report. It's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tidy Lund, uh, I am El Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. Enjoy Wild Card Weekend in MLB. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four series. Tune them all in. Enjoy. Until next time, have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.